Welcome to The Nail. Trav and I will be talking about the Cavs surviving their first round series with the Pacers in just a minute. But first, if you haven't done it already, make sure you're subscribed to The Nail in the Coffin on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast listening app. And we'd really appreciate it if you could help us spread the word about the show. Tell your friends about us, share our posts on Facebook and Twitter, leave us a review on iTunes. It all helps and we really appreciate it. We're on Facebook at facebook.com slash The Nail Podcast. And we're on Twitter at The Nail Podcast. And as always, you can stream our episodes on waitingfornextyear.com. All right, with that bit of business out of the way, let's roll. The Nail in the Coffin! It's the nail in the coffin. I'm Tom. He's Travis. It's Monday night. And uh, Trav, the Cavs are still playing basketball tomorrow. How about that? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't know. I don't know that I was ever uh, giving up on them. I know that I ever thought it was going to end, but it was a little hairier than, than either one of us, I think, thought it was going to be. I knew we'd be doing uh, another pod here as soon as that series wrapped up. And, One way or another, right? Right, exactly. And I'm not going to lie. I think after Friday night, I started gathering some of my thoughts, uh, uh, perhaps uh, preparing uh, the uh, in memoriam on this season. And uh, happy to uh, send those to the recycling bin because uh, not going to be needing them for now. I don't uh, don't know how much longer this, this run's going to go. Uh, we'll be talking, I'm sure, uh, plenty about the Toronto series that starts on Tuesday night. Cavs are uh, a sizable underdog in that, I think. So, uh, you know, we'll see where it goes. But uh, back to the Indiana series. Um, wow, what uh, what what a game seven. And, uh, you know, LeBron, obviously awesome uh, yet again. Um, but I feel like the best place to start talking about what we saw yesterday afternoon was uh, what we saw from uh, the supporting cast, finally, specifically Tristan Thompson and George Hill. Yeah, I mean, Tristan came out like gangbusters in the first quarter. I think a a lot of people seem fairly, at least in general, the the sort of the sentiment online seemed to be that they were excited that Ty Lue was switching things up, but also um, (laughs) generally not trusting that Tyler had any sort of rhyme or reason behind what he was doing. Um, overall, it just sort of seemed like he was going to go with guys that he's been there with before, um, that he knows the stage wasn't going to be too big for. Um, I think throughout the game, we sort of saw Jordan Clarkson was one that stood out to me a lot. Like he came in for a few minutes and just was all over the place and sort of infuriating. And it sort of seemed like, a playoff game seven isn't a stage he was quite ready for. It was a little too big for him. Um, same with Rodney Hood. He didn't really seem to do a whole lot that that made anybody excited or, or got anybody optimistic. So that's one thing. Um, Tristan obviously played out of his mind. One of the probably one of the best games we've seen out of him in his entire Cavs career. I think is that fair to say? Um, I, I mean. Maybe even if you ignore the stage, I still think he was about as effective as as effective as he can be. 
it was he did everything he does really well and didn't make any big mistakes. That's a peak Tristan Thompson game. I think in the championship run a couple years ago, we saw games like that, but he put it all together. And I think what made that stand out so much was it was something we haven't seen all year. And I think, you know, he's been battling the injuries, uh, hasn't quite had some of the explosiveness at times. Um, but uh, I don't know, maybe only playing 24 minutes in the first six games of the series total, uh, maybe gave him fresh legs for game seven. And whereas everybody else in that series who had been logging big minutes was starting to wear down, you know, he came in basically uh, at, uh, at close to a hundred percent or is as close to a hundred percent as you're going to be at this time of the year. But he definitely was active on the glass. Uh, I thought he was, um, you know, like you had said, first quarter, especially it just changed the entire tenor of what this just series completely looked set like. the tone for the entire. Yeah. Game. It was the, the Cavs. It pretty much, it felt like at times just given up on, hitting the offensive glass. It was, let's just get back and uh, prevent any runouts. And they finally had somebody that was seriously uh, capable of uh, crashing the glass and creating extra possessions. And when you're in a situation where, you know, obviously LeBron got off to a great start shooting the ball, but uh, for a good long stretch of that game, nobody else was putting it in. You needed all the extra possessions that, uh, that you could find. And uh, that was a, that was a huge uh, shift from what we had seen. And, you know, I thought George Hill kind of um, in a different way had a similar effect. You know, one of the things that was really difficult for the Cavs, especially there in the third quarter before he came in, was they didn't have anybody else that was really capable of getting them into an offense, especially when they didn't want to play Jose Calderon yesterday. So Yeah, for sure. They showed it like on the pregame, um, a pretty, pretty strong breakdown. I think it was Kenny Smith that was sort of explaining to people what they were looking at, where – um, and I could be wrong. It might've actually been Chauncey Billups. Now that I think about it, um, sort of explaining where the, the guys that were bringing the ball up and the way the Cavs were bringing the ball up, they were good eight to 10 feet further from the basket than, you know, ideally they would have been, which, which impacted every single move they made through the offense and in the other games of the series. So I actually made it a conscious point to watch throughout the game. Where were they really, um, you know, where was the ball at when they really started kicking the offense into gear? And it was really close to the three-point line, which was sort of a change if you'd been watching the previous games and sort of playing, paying close attention to that. So it was nice to see that they were much more aggressive about getting the ball in and not letting Indiana, um, like, not letting Indiana slow them down or harass them as much when they were trying to get the ball in and set their offense. Yeah, that was the so, other thing. It wasn't even necessarily just where they were getting the offense initiated from. It was how long it took them to get into the into their sets. And Yeah, for sure. Right. So, um, you know, he, he and it's again, it's like, oh man, the Cavs have looked so horrible at times in the series. You know, George Hill was basically, you know, I, I don't think he finished game one. Um game two, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I'm, I'm trying to think now he was extremely limited. He, he was out of completely for three straight games, I, you know, and that's a, that's your starting point guard. And, you know, that makes a huge difference in, in what your offense is capable of being. And really it kind of changes your uh, defensive setup as well. Hold that thought for just a second. All right. I just cannot build any momentum here tonight. <laughs> yeah. We were rolling, man. We came out of the right off the blocks. Yeah. All right. So let me let me think. Where was I picking this up? Yeah, George Hill. Um, 
just completely changed the uh, in much the same way that Tristan Thompson changed the the Cavs look on the defensive end. George Hill had a, a huge impact the offensive end, and I thought that was a really interesting way that the Cavs deployed him and, and how uh, Ty Lue chose to bring him in. And I don't know if, if you saw what Jason Lloyd had in his final thoughts for the athletic, but um, it basically sounded like the Cavs knew that he was going to be able to play 18 to 20 minutes. And <laughs> they, they lined them all up though. Well, right. 19 minutes on the nose. And he, uh, you know, they, he they didn't sit once he came in, right? He well, that was, that's exactly, that was exactly where I was going with that was the other concern beyond just how many minutes he played was once they took him out, was his back going to lock up and would he be able to reenter at all? And, uh, that was why they wanted to just ride him as long as they could. And, you know, it, it ended up working out great. I'll be really interested to see as we move into this uh, semifinal series in the, in the Eastern conference with Toronto uh, and it's a quick turnaround. I think they, you know, 54, tomorrow, yeah. yeah, 54 hours or whatever between games that uh, if, if George Hill's going to be able to bounce back that quickly, or if they're going to have to sit him for a game or just what kind of availability uh, he's going to have. Yeah. I mean, he, I mean, he obviously came in, played huge hit, a few, I don't know how many field goals he actually made. He hit some big free throws, made some made some huge plays when he was on offense. Um, he looked like the point guard that they wanted the whole series, like yeah, a exactly. guy that was going to keep his composure, make all the right plays. You didn't need him to do a lot. You just needed him not to mess up. You needed him not to get like eaten alive by the press. He just needed to do all the right things not necessarily be the playmaker or, you know, the hero, but make the smart play since exactly what he did. So they got exactly what they wanted. And I think you're right. They, they realized, you know, this is a guy we want late in the game. We trust him late in the game. He has the experience. He's the type of guy that we want where we trust the ball in his hands. So we're not going to put him in early where if something happens that his back does lock up or for whatever reason, we can't put him back out there. We wasted the opportunity we had to use him. Right. And that worked out perfectly. So for all the, uh, for, for, for all the knocks that Ty Lue took during that series, that's one thing he played really well. Right. And, and the other thing with that, you know, you mentioned him knocking down some of those free throws. I think the first time he scored was when he got fouled shooting a three and he made all three of those free throws. And, um, you know, there was that, that stretch there late third quarter into the early fourth quarter, you know, LeBron went into that game, uh, saying that he was going to try to play all 48. I think they showed that clip during the game where he like said to his family courtside, I'm playing all 48 or whatever. And then the cramping finally got to him there and he had to come out late third, early fourth. And that was a, a huge, huge point of the game. Um, you know, the Cavs went in that stretch from only being up two uh, to going up by eight. So not only did the roof not cave in on them, they actually extended the lead. And, uh, you know, Oladipo was on the bench for Indiana for a good portion of that time that LeBron was out. And I wonder if that's something they're going to be kicking themselves for. Um, you know, it was interesting. The game that the Cavs had won before that game five, it was kind of a similar situation where, you know, in that game, LeBron sat in the second quarter and the Cavs went, you know, from down two to up one. 
And then the fourth quarter, he sat again, and they had a six-point lead, and they only lost one point off of that. It was, they were up five when he came back in. And, you know, when you're in a, a series like this where it's ultra-competitive and all you're hearing for seven games is the Cavs supporting cast is letting them down to get through their last two wins and getting through those stretches – not really giving up anything, and in the case of uh, Sunday, actually extending the lead out. That was enormous. Oh, yeah, and there was, I mean, there was a, a certain point in the game where, um, I don't know, it, when LeBron went to the bench, it was, I think, with a minute left in the third, and I know this because I was thinking at the time, like, oh, he's going to miss one minute, uh, <laughs> because it became a big story that he wasn't going to sit at all during the game. Right. Um he said for like he left with one minute left in the third and I was like, okay, he'll be back for the fourth. And then he wasn't, but the bench group did a really good job building the lead back up, playing solid. They didn't, you know, they kept, um, they kept them at at sort of an arm's length. Like they didn't let them get too far. And and that's one of those things where earlier in the, in the series that could have easily gotten away from them and it could have been really bad. And I think um, if George Hill's not playing, I think it that would have happened again yesterday. A hundred percent. Absolutely. Agree completely. And um, Kevin Love finding a couple huge shots during that run. I, it, I thought that was kind of interesting. He started hit, spotting up and hitting shots when he was with that sort of bench group, which is sort of interesting to th- thing to think about because he shot so poorly during the rest of the series, most of which was played with the starters. So... I don't I don't know if it was if it was that he sort of took it on himself like hey I'm usually the number 2 guy right now I'm the number 1 guy on the floor so I got to hit these shots but give him credit cuz he did and for all the, the lumps he took during the series most of them deserved you know he didn't play well during the series hit some huge shots and stepped up when you really needed a guy to to give you a few points he he was able to do it yeah that uh you know, the other thing that was interesting with Kevin Love, and, and we saw so much of him struggling throughout the series playing at the five, and I wonder if shifting over to the four and having a true center like Tristan on the floor, you know, those two working together as the four and five have had great returns, uh, you know, over the last few years, and I wonder if getting back to that combination uh, in the post was something that helped him to feel a little bit better and, and, you know, get a little bit more comfortable and ultimately led to him knocking down a couple more shots. Yeah, no question. I mean, he, he, and he took some tough shots. Like he, he's getting sort of this reputation as being soft um, because, you know, he got elbowed in the face. Like I felt like he was getting hurt because he was trying to jump in the middle of things. Um, and sort of be that Kevin Love that we saw years ago when, you know, he's grabbing 20-some rebounds a game and just banging with everybody else. And I thought the way that he played just, um, it was, it was, he was trying to tap back into that, but wasn't necessarily comfortable in it because he hasn't played that role for quite some time. You know, the other thing, and this is going to sound surprising because we all kept saying, like, oh, God, his numbers look terrible. And, and, you know, some of his post touches were pretty rough. Um, He shot 41% from three-point range in this series, which is really good. Yeah, better than you would have thought if you were, you know, just a casual observer. 
if you watched the game, you'd think like it didn't look like he was baking him at that high of a rate because he missed a lot at big times. And but yeah, I'm with you from the three ball. He shot pretty well, so you'll take that if that's if that's what you get out of him. So just to kind of put a cap on the Pacers, this is now the fifth time in seven years that LeBron has eliminated them. And twice now they've gotten him to seven games and they've not been able to get over the hump. They're now 0-5 in playoff series against LeBron. If you're Indiana right now, how frustrated are you waking up today after the way this series played out? Honestly, probably not very. Um, I know that sounds sort of weird to say, but they're a team that this is the first, this is their first year in their current construction. And you look at the way that they're built right now. And I, I don't know the guy's contract, so I'd have to go sort of look and see where they're, how they're set up long-term and whatnot. But as far as the East goes long-term, you got to think they're in a really good place as far as how they can, you know, if, if they're looking for future years in terms of how, where they can be, um, I think they're in a really good place. They got a lot of good talent. Victor Oladipo definitely jumped out this season as a guy that you can literally win a lot of games with. I don't know if I don't. There's just I personally, in my head, have sort of a list of guys that you can win a championship if this is your best player. There's only like four or five guys to me personally that I think are in that list. I don't think Oladipo is on there, but. I do think he's a guy that you could potentially win the East with. Yeah, I was going to say he's a lot closer to that top tier now than I think anybody yeah. would have believed before oh, the season for started. Sure. For and sure. I got to be honest, I... like even when the Pacers made that trade and sent Paul George to OKC, I, I don't think they could have envisioned in their wildest dreams that he would have turned out to be as good as what they've gotten. It's kind of the exact opposite of what the Cavs got in their hall for uh, Kyrie last summer, where oh, yeah, it was like always, literally every yeah. in, in that initial trade and every uh, uh, iteration after that. Uh, just the worst case scenario for the Cavs left and right. And meanwhile, Indiana, I think the complete opposite scenario with Oladipo and, and, uh, and everything else that they got there. Yeah. I mean, they got Oladipo and Sabonis and everybody, when that trade came down, said, ah, I think they, they didn't get enough for it. Yeah. Um, there's zero question that they won that trade now. Oh, yeah. Um, no question whatsoever. Um, but as far as long-term, like I said, I think there's really only four or five guys that you can win a title with as your best player. LeBron, I think it's LeBron, Durant, Harden, Curry. Right, right now. I mean, in a couple of years, that'll obviously change and guys will sort of shift in that role. I don't think you can do it with Westbrook. Um, am I missing anybody? Maybe Anthony Davis, but... I was going to say, right him. now, you, you that might be the list, but... Uh, I reserve the right to revisit this in a year or two with the Sixers. For sure. For sure. Although you'll never really, you'll always have a hard time looking at that though, because it'll always be Simmons and Embiid. Right. You'll have a hard time really evaluating how one could be without the other. Um, now that's, that's not necessary. And I, I think you'd have um similar problem with Curry. If you looked at Curry, I don't know that you'd say the same thing about Curry if you didn't have, Clay and Draymond with him personally I know he's got a, two MVP trophies and all that shit but I think that system and the uh, the supporting cast around him has propped him up more than they should have but 
overall, I don't think you're ever going to look at the Indiana team as they – and that's just sort of how the NBA always goes. There's only three or four teams that really have a legitimate chance, and all of those teams have one of the three or four best players in the world, right? Right. All right, so, so – Along those lines, then, if you want to talk about teams with a chance to win the title, you have to make the finals if you want to win the title. Did you see the updated odds for getting out of the East? I did not, but I'm going to guess that Philly has the best odds. And Cleveland is... I'll have you to go back and... Me, you already told me Toronto is the favorite to win the series, so I'm going to say Cleveland's fourth. I was going to – now, Boston, I believe, is fourth because of their Boston's injuries. Boston's fourth? Okay. Um, but the the line that I saw, the number that I saw, you want to take a guess at what the odds are on the Cavs to come out of the East? Um, I will say 600. They're at 4 to 1. Okay, so 400. Okay. Yeah. All right, so – Which for I guess, a LeBron-James-led yeah, le- so. team – LeBron. 600 be wild. That's yeah, that's insane to think about. Yeah, this is the, this series with Toronto, and I guess we might as well just go ahead and shift right into that now. But this series with Toronto, this is the first time LeBron has been an underdog in an Eastern Conference series since 2008 against the Celtics. So I mean, we got to go digging into the wayback machine here. Um, you know, third straight year that these two teams are meeting. Uh, first time though that Toronto gets the home court. Um, and yeah, I think, uh, I, I saw one of the, the, you know, I'm always hesitant to put a whole lot of stock in those predictor models, but you know, the, the one had, uh, Toronto with like a 70% uh, chance of winning. And I think there was one that said they were like, uh, an 88% chance of winning the series. So I feel like that's sort of a recency bias though. I feel like people watching the last series are like, oh, Cavs are done. Right. Um, when in actuality, Indiana, and we sort of said this, I don't know if we said this on the pod, but we've sort of agreed that Indiana's sort of a bad matchup. It's one of those teams that has some decent players at positions and roles that the Cavs would have a hard time you that's know, certainly, Yeah, that's certainly proved to be the case. I don't think that I ever would have believed that. I'm pretty sure I had said Cavs in five in that opening round series. I thought the games would be close. I mean, that was kind of, you know, how it played out last year. I mean, it was a four-game sweep, but you remember those games last year, all of those were pretty tight, and I think it was game three where the Cavs last year had to make the huge comeback just to, you know, sneak one out. Um, But, yeah, once they got into the second round with Toronto last year, it was off to the races, and I think that was the game one where two minutes into the game, LeBron was throwing, you know, taking alley-oops off the backboard and – you know they were running Showtime and everything else, and oh, that was that was also the series where LeBron was in the corner, just kind of spinning the ball in his hand before he put up the three pointer, staring, staring, staring at, which down. was about the most disrespectful Bearing thing him. I think I've ever seen. Hilarious! That, that was, it was over as soon as we saw that, but right. I, I do not think it'll be uh, anything remotely like that this year. Um, you know, they, they these teams only played three times, and the one meeting that was in Toronto was before the deadline, so I don't think we could really take anything from that game. Cavs got run out of the gym, and it was you know, pretty much the low point of their season, uh, in a, a season that was full of low points. Um, and then we saw them win a couple 
you know, hotly contested games against them late in the season. Yeah, so, I was going to say that game in, in March at the Q. We had the one, yeah, we did the pod right after that game, and it was that hell was, of a game where they came back from a big deficit. That was probably the game of the year. That that was uh, that was wild. The Cavs had five players out. Uh, Ty Lue was on his leave of absence at that point, and, you know, LeBron went wild, and, and much as we've seen in the past few years, Toronto had nobody that could really contain him, and, uh, yeah, they pulled off a great win there, and then they came back and got him again, uh, also in Cleveland, the first week of April. Um, and the th- other thing that I thought was kind of interesting, for as much as we saw the Cavs supporting cast struggling in this Indiana series, and obviously the playoffs are a completely different animal, and those two wins over the Raptors, all, f- all five starters scored in double figures. So that's encouraging. Yeah, yeah, and I think... Hopefully the George Hill thing has, I mean, basketball is a sort of weird thing that kind of just can pop up at any time. So it's hard to really know where they're at. Um, you have to hope that they're sort of calming down. He's ready to go and give you a lot of good minutes in the next series. But overall, you kind of have to hope like everybody sort of got the jitters out. I think we saw them, like I said, we saw them with, um, Clarkson and Hood and even Nance to an extent. Hopefully those guys kind of get that out of their system and they're a little bit more comfortable and ready to go in the playoffs now. Um, And George Hill being healthy will be a huge, huge benefit if he can give you a lot of good minutes like he he did for the last 20 of that last game. That's that's big. And I think that really changes the way that they can play. And I wouldn't have I wouldn't have thought that couple weeks ago like I don't know that I was really banking on a whole lot of George Hill until I sort of saw, saw how the last series went and realized yeah he's he's a more crucial part than I maybe originally anticipated well as far as the second unit goes I think one of the things to keep an eye on in this series um, and I think one of the things that's made Toronto a lot better this year than they maybe have been in the last couple of years um, their second unit has been much improved and especially with Fred Van, I can't even say it, Fred Van Vliet, uh, he of, uh, what did he play, about eight years at Wichita State, it seemed like, but uh, he's made a huge difference for them off the bench. He missed a couple games with, I think, a shoulder injury in that Washington yeah. series for them in the first round, but he came back in game six, and, you know, not coincidentally, uh, they were able to put that series away on the road, and every single one of their uh, reserves who played in that game six, all of them had a, a positive plus minus. So he really changed the complexion, I think, of that series for them. And uh, definitely going to be a, a guy to be keeping an eye on um, as this uh, next series with the Cavs gets started. Yeah, he's he was he's probably a legit contender for six man of the year. And he came, he was out for, I think he just missed, did he just miss one, miss one game in the last series? I think he missed two. Did he miss two? Okay. And it, but when he came back, it was pretty obvious right away that he's yep. a big part of their success. Um, and we saw it during the regular season. So yeah, he'll be he'll be a big part of what they do. Um, I think it'll be an interesting series. I do feel like, and I I'm always hesitant to say stuff because I'm such a fucking homer that like <laughs> I feel like if I say it. I know full well that my Cavs bias is part of why I'm saying it, but I, I I personally think that they will have an easier time with Toronto than they had with Indiana. I mean, that's been the but, working... But to be fair, 
if they win, they couldn't have a much harder time, right? <laughs> yeah. Let's yeah. You can't win a series much harder than they just won that now, last one. LeBron said it yesterday. They, the, the Pacers pushed them to the brink, and that, that was very true. Um, you know, it's it's interesting, to, Toronto, you know, just because I was kind of studying up on them a little bit today. Um, you know, one of the other big changes for them besides just the bench is they've really reconfigured their style of play this year. And, you know, we saw so much of them in the past couple of years has been so much ball-dominant uh, offense with – their backcourt with Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. I mean, these are guys, you know, that we've been seeing for the last few years, nothing new there, but um, they've made a much more concentrated effort to move the ball. I think their assist percentage went from being the worst in the league last year to like 10th or 11th this year. So that was a huge jump up for them. They're obviously uh, moving the ball a lot better. And, you know, that's something that the Cavs sometimes struggle to defend. Um and it, you know, kind of speaks to the the larger issue. You know, you talk to in Toronto people, they will tell you that the changes that they've made, everything that they've done for the past year has been with the Cavs in mind. And, you know, as a Cavs fan, that's kind of interesting to hear, I think, because, you know, everything that we do, it's always like, how do you counter Golden State? What do you do with... You know, you know, they added Kevin Durant. Well, now what the hell do we do with that? And, you know, now Kyrie's gone. Well, how do we survive everything else? And it's always within the context of getting past the Warriors. And it's like for once, you know, we're on the other end of that and we're the team in the crosshairs and somebody's plotting their every waking minute. Uh, how do they get over us? Yeah, I mean, it's a weird switch and... I think it'll be interesting to see how LeBron handles it because he's not used to that. And I don't know that he'll even accept that that's the case, even if the rest of the world does. He's he's just not familiar with that concept. It's foreign to him, and understandably so. It should be. Um, he's he's earned that. It, it, it's gonna take it's gonna take better performances out of everybody other than LeBron. What we saw out of him in this round was superhuman, right? Like he did everything. When yeah. you needed a guy to make plays, and it, we went into every game saying LeBron has to be really good, and he was better than that every game, and it took that much. Like, we even underestimated how much it actually took out of him. Um, so hopefully he can rely on those guys a little bit more. I mean, if you look at some of those games, like, there were moments where, like, Cal Corver had wide open threes multiple times in a row. Shots that he normally knocks down that weren't going in. Same with Kevin Love. Jarrah was terrible at stretches where he's been, you know, fairly reliable at times. You have to hope that those guys that we've leaned on for a long time and have shown that they're somewhat reliable will be that again. Um, and that's sort of where I'm at. I mean, LeBron's going to do what he does. He'll be incredible because it's all it's all he knows how to do, right? It's, it's We're only going to be able to really trust him so much. Expecting more from him in the next series than we got in the last, I just think is unreasonable. Right. And just to be clear, to kind of back up to where you started with this, I think LeBron is used to teams trying to load up and figure out ways to deal with him. I mean, it's all pretty much been futile, but, you know, you can you could certainly try. And I, um, you know, we'll, we'll see what Toronto has in store for him. But it's going to be 
a matter of how the rest of the Cavs adjust because I certainly don't think anything Toronto has done with the Cavs in the last couple of years has made them particularly uncomfortable. Um, you know, as evidenced by uh, the shooting displays that we've seen in, in some of the crooked numbers that the Cavs have been able to put up uh, in this series. So, um, yeah, I mean, we'll uh, we'll see what happens. You know, one of the uh, other things, just kind of getting back to the Cavs side of it, um, after yesterday, I was pretty sure that I was thinking, you know, you, you need to stick with the uh, the the Tristan Kevin Love post combination heading into this series after it played I think out so it, well. I, I, yeah, I agree with you. I think it made Kevin's job a lot easier. He it didn't did. feel like he was the guy that had to get all the rebounds. But then, as I started going back into those box scores from those games in March and April, uh, you know, he put up uh, eighteen and fifteen in one game, and he was uh, put up twenty three and twelve in the other, and those were both with him playing the five. And that was with Jeff Green playing the four. And let me be 100% clear, I am not advocating for Jeff Green starting again. <laughs> Please no. I tell you what, every time, every time in this series that I got to my wits end with Jeff Green, he would come in and make like two plays. I'm like, eh, maybe he knows what he's doing. Just enough to make you... Just enough. Every time. Every fucking time I'd be like, no, get this fucking guy out of here. And then just enough to put the, the lead pipe away. Like, all right, he's okay. And like seven or eight more bad plays. Uh, like, God, get him out of here. And then two more good plays come up. It's so weird. Yeah. So that that's the thing, though, is if, you know, Toronto's got uh, Jonas Valanciunas on the floor and he's trying to cover Love, you could draw him out of the paint a little bit. Um, when you've got, uh, you know, Kevin Love spotting up out in the perimeter, which, as we said earlier, he's actually been knocking down some threes in the postseason. Um, so that's something that the Cavs might want to think about uh, trying again. So I don't know if they, I guess in this case, maybe it's a good problem to have. You know, you obviously have the, the Tristan-Kevin Love combination uh, paying dividends, and you've also seen, you know, Love at the five working against Toronto. So I'll be really interested to see how that goes and what that does to the starting lineup. The other thing is if George Hill is capable of starting or not, um, that would probably move Jr. or Corver back to the bench. And that could certainly help with the uh, scoring on the second unit, you know, and it would certainly take some pressure off of guys like Rodney Hood and Jordan Clarkson. All right, so if you're predicting, who do you think starting tomorrow? Hmm. Um, or who do you who do you want to see? Don't predict anything because Tyloo <laughs> doesn't care what we think. Jeez, I, I think don't... I'm with you. I think it's I think it's LeBron, obviously Love, Thompson, Corver, and Hill. If George Hill, that's what I want. That's if, what I want. Ideally. Yeah, if, if his back is is up to it, I, I would like to see George Hill in the starting lineup. If um, he can't go, then it's Jr. and LeBron runs point. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that was uh, that so was same thing we saw. Yesterday. The interesting thing for all the convoluted lineups, and I think we've seen we saw four different starting lineups in that seven first games. round series. Four starting That's lineups wild. in seven games, and um, I think what was it, thirty different starting lineups during the year. That when all the chips were down and the Cavs were facing elimination yesterday, who did he go to? The guys that have been there before. Yeah, that's exactly right. It was the four guys from the championship team and Kyle Korver, who's basically like an honorary member of that group because he came in early last year. So, um, 
yeah, I mean, tr- trusting the guys who have been there and gotten you there before. So, uh, yeah, I mean, you look at the guys like Clarkson, Hood, Nance, um, Calderon, I'm, Jetty, obviously, but nobody really counts him anymore because he's not going to see the, the the floor. Probably um, the rest not. of the playoffs, unless there's a blowout one way or another. Um, they got a lot of guys, and we 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 kind of got maybe irrationally excited. I don't even know that we were that excited, but but we we were somewhat optimistic after the trade deadline, right? And we liked the moves that they made, and we're like, yeah, okay, these young guys might come in, and they might be able to uh, add a little spark and give you a little more athleticism and excitement and all this other shit. But the truth of the matter is, you need guys that know how to do it. You need guys that have been there before. I would like to see them, like, maybe work those guys in a little bit more with the veterans, as opposed to plugging all three of them in at once. Plug one of them in with three or four of the veterans, right, and let them sort of lean on those guys a little bit more where they don't feel like they have to do so much. Yeah, yeah. That's, Does uh, that make sense? That, I mean, is that Your logic is sound there. I, I like the sound of that. I know that generally you want to get your starters rest and you want to sort of have them on the floor as much as possible and all that stuff. But I feel like you need to make sure that when Jordan Clarkson comes into the game, he doesn't feel like he has to take every shot. Because you texted me yesterday. We were sitting there watching the game. Get Jordan Clarkson out of the game. He's just coming down, taking bad shot after bad shot he's, he's trying to make something there. happen where it's just right. not there and i get i get where he's coming from because he's on the floor with a lot of those guys who haven't done it before and he's like hey maybe i need to be the spark plug if you have a guy like love or corver or lebron out there who could say no here's here's what you need to do do this also if you have a guy like corver or lebron or kevin love out there that draws some of that defense defensive attention to them too, where those shots aren't as hard as they maybe are when you're playing with Rodney Hood and Larry Nance and Tristan Thompson. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. So I, that's what, that's personally what I want to say. I think you need to kind of work those guys in a little bit more into parts of the game where it's not it, it it's not so easy to defend them straight up. Yeah. Um, last thing I wanted to talk about with this series, you know, we got the quick turnaround here already going into game one tomorrow night and then got the wacky scheduling with uh, 6 p.m. start time on uh, Thursday night for Thursday, game two. Yeah, and it's, it's a weird C-bone, not a fan. fan no. Friend, but... friend of the show, C-bone, <laughs> not a fan. Well, is uh, is you? I don't know if you were listening to 92.3 The Fan this morning. I did not. No. Oh, you missed out. Uh, Anthony Lima uh, explaining why the, this is the the way it is with these early start times, uh, courtesy of a tweet that I sent him, and he graciously uh, said Tom Valentino reporting, which um, hey, had hey me uh, just hey uh, uh, laughing uh, uh, with great amusement as I was driving into work this morning. Oh boy! Um, I wish I was listening. Though. I know. I have a couple of our friends no, immediately texted it. me, so I was like, "Now I know who listens to ninety-two-three, the fan, in the morning." Um, but no, the, so the break base, it down for us. How did it, it seemed like a lot of circumstances? It was the happen. worst case scenario, and just about every facet of what would go into making this schedule. Neither one of these semifinal series could have started over the weekend because the Celtics went to seven games and the Cavs went to seven games. So they they, they both had to go as long as possible. Um, that was number one. 
Number two, um, the Bruins in Boston have the, the TD Garden, their arena there, booked for May 2nd and 8th. So that was going to limit the dates that the Celtics could have their home games. And number three, the NBA doesn't want to have any back-to-backs. No, you're not playing on consecutive days. Which so, is which is the most valid of all the points. 100% like, agree with that. That's just silly in the playoffs. Right? And then the last one that, you know, you could have worked around all of this and still had the two East series on alternating days, but uh, Toronto has their building hosting a Canadian national figure skating team exhibition, which, as I said on Twitter this afternoon, <laughs> what self-respecting NBA contender is booking a figure skating exhibition in their arena for the first Friday in May? Like you, you can't have your building getting booked up with things like that if you expect to still be around. So come on, Toronto, also, get also, your act together. The do the Maple Leafs share a stadium with the Raptors? They do, or but no? they're out. Okay, okay, but they were like they made the playoffs. They, they also could have been needing the stadium that day, right? Like that's that's even a more ridiculous thing. You guys love your hockey up there. <laughs> um. You probably shouldn't be booking events in general. Yeah. I mean, yeah. they they were – I'd have to go look at the stands again. standing. I think the Maple Leafs were like a three or four seed in the in the playoffs. So they weren't – it wasn't a gimme that they weren't going to need the stadium either. Oh, Canada. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. No kidding. God, God bless them, though. Universal health care. They get something right up there. That's that's true. Also, also uh, poutine delicious i'm a big God fan knows. of labat blue light so i'll give him that oh, as well um yeah, exactly. see they just they do a few things right but, uh, that has been my beer of choice through the first round i might have to <laughs> switch to something american for the next round on principle alone but uh boy. Uh, no i um no but you know I'm it was just, one of those weird things where it's just like all all these different circumstances had to hit at the same time and right and the end result was we start a game an hour earlier than normally expected. Yeah, exactly. Which um, is in the grand scheme, what are you, what are we really bitching about here? Yeah, yeah. It's uh, it's rare, but it is what it is. And um, yeah, I gotta say, I I'll be interested to see how these two teams come out tomorrow night because the Cavs, for all intents and purposes, should be tired. They should be worn out. You know, they should be running on fumes. And Toronto's had a couple extra days. And they're playing at home, and they're favored by, I think, six or seven points. And Raptors should come out and win game one. But given the history between these two teams over the last couple of years, and also given the fact that the Raptors, I think, have won, like, what is it, one out of their last ten or something like that? Maybe even more than that in Cleveland. And it was like a meaningless last game of the regular season where nobody was actually playing type situation. Right. So. Right. Home court is going to absolutely matter to them in this series uh, if history is any kind of an indication. So, you know, it, you know, all the preparations, everything they've done with the Cavs uh, at the center of their dartboard in in their offices, um, you know, showtime. It's put up or shut up time for them, and, and I'll be real curious to see how they come out against the Cavs team that uh, is not necessarily still firing on all cylinders or anywhere close to 100%. Yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, that'll be it, it should be an entertaining series. I think 
the whole sort of the narrative it seems like lately has been the Cavs just they're in the Raptors head I think there's a little validity to that but I think it's also being a little bit overblown I don't know that that's that's really going to be that big of a factor once the series starts so um hopefully I mean I would love for that to be 100% accurate that'd be fantastic <laughs> but I think banking on that is 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 probably not a great idea. I think it'll be a more competitive series than maybe some people, some Cleveland people think. Overall, nationally, after watching the last series, most people are probably going to think that um, Cavs, Cavs, Cavs are just sort of right for the taking at this point because they're playing like shit. But I also think that literally everyone outside LeBron played worse than they're capable of. Like no one really played up to their ability. So if that can change, the series can be completely different from what we, what we saw last series. Well, it should be fun. Uh, get started Tuesday night in Toronto. Uh, you see Boston? Right yeah. They're sticking it to the Sixers. Sticking it. <laughs> like you're sticking it. <laughs> they are. I did not see that coming. Uh, that, uh, that bodes well. That bodes yeah, well. sure. If they can stretch that series out, that's nice. Obviously, yeah. we don't want to look too far ahead, but yeah, yeah. Kev's got to handle their business awesome. first, which, as we learned in the first round, is no Not sure thing. Easier said than none. Easier yeah. said than none for sure. All right, I think that's a good place to put a bow on this one. What do you say? Wrap it up. All right, as always, uh, go subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or your favorite podcast listening app you can also stream us on waitingfornextyear.com like our facebook page facebook.com slash the nail podcast give us a follow on twitter at uh, at the nail podcast and uh, if you get a chance give us a review on itunes uh, those apparently uh, help out with uh, search ratings and everything else and uh, we'd like to like the feedback so uh, drop us a line let us know how we're yeah, doing here if you leave us a review we will talk about you the following week there you go positive or negative we'll shout you out i would prefer hear something i will talk about it i promise you (laughs) i'd prefer positive but i suppose we'll take what we can get hey we we want constructive stuff too i don't care whatever you think i suck tell me i suck fair enough all right well that'll do it for us then for travis shuley i'm tom valentino it's been the nail in the coffin and we will talk to you again soon What was it like to be there for historical sports moments and unforgettable performances? To be behind the scenes? On PressBox Access, you'll hear from me, Todd Jones, and other sports writers about their experiences with the greatest athletes, coaches, and sports events of the past half century. We'll share some stories behind the stories, some big, some small, and some we've only told each other. Let us buy you around on PressBox Access. 